Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 143, Black Lab Linux, recorded May 11th, 2014, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. Element OP. Com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. And I hate to disappoint you, but this show actually is going to be about Linux tonight. So I'll just yep. apologize for that up front. The Linux show that's not about Linux will actually be about Linux tonight. Um, but we had to get our yearly quota in. One show about Linux a year, and we're okay. And then we'll, go, we'll be back to bacon and popcorn and coffee and bad movies next week. Uh, but this week, we have a special guest with us. I will introduce him in just a minute, just to get this, the 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 suspense rolling there. Uh, but uh, I, of course, am Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and I am joined, as always, by your friends and mine, Chris, the Command Line Godfather, and Seth, the Gooey Ken Anderson. Hey, gentlemen. Hey, hey. Aloha. Oh, you went island on us there. Um, yeah, you know, I want to go there someday. I, uh, okay, anyway. And, and our guest this evening, uh, we gave him the option of just doing a, a brief interview and getting on with his life, and he chose to do the whole show. Um, he will regret that decision almost immediately. Uh, but that is, uh, Roberto Donert, uh, who is the Grand Poobah. Uh, I don't know what his official title is, but that's what I'm going with. The Grand Poobah of Black Lab Linux. Hey, Roberto. Welcome to the show. Hey, hey guys. How you doing? So let's start right there. What is your actual title? Lead developer. Lead developer. All right. What, is, <laughs> what does that mean? Do it now. What does what does that mean? That that's your title, but what what does it actually uh, mean? Basically, what it means, I help the guys collaborate, uh, work on the kernel, work on the packages that we install in Black Lab Linux, and what comes pre-installed with the system. Okay. And basically, now I've gone from actually. From, from actually coding software to actually being just a coordinator of types. So you're a manager. Yes. <laughs> middle management. And we all love middle management. So, <laughs> so are you, you're actually like a kernel level coder kind of guy? Uh, yeah, I am. All right. Wow. My hat's That's off to you. That's pretty awesome, actually. Mm-hmm. I, I, Most people in management don't know how to code. <laughs> yeah. Most people in management don't know how to... Anyway, I'm going to stop right there, lest one of my managers is listening. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, let's... Uh, we'll get back to Black Lab Linux in a minute, but first, we have some irrelevant things to talk about. I, we don't want to... I mean, we're doing Linux already. I don't want to shock the audience too much by jumping straight into Linux. We, whoa, back up a little bit. I mean, when you go to work, do you start right away? No, no, no. So this is the time we're going to get our coffee. We're going to stand around yep. and talk a little bit. <laughs> Seth, the water cooler moment. Seth is a running fool. He ran yet another 5K. No zombies this time. No, no zombies. I was supposed to run one on Thursday, but we had these storms come through and there was like a tornado close by. So they canceled that 5K. So I went to the gym. And I actually, I ran a 5K in the gym just for fun. There's something wrong with me. I'm going to go to a doctor soon. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's the first time I've ever ran one without stopping at all. Like, you know, even whenever I've done them before, I always, like, get tired and have to walk a little bit. So on Thursday, I ran one without stopping. And then Saturday morning, I ran one. I had to walk a little bit. But I set my fastest time ever at, like, uh, 36 minutes and 17 point some odd seconds. So. Very cool. Very cool, Seth. My hat's off to you. 
Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I had a hat on. for Fat Man running, that's pretty darn good. Yeah, I mean, you know, any any I mean, that's a slow jog for most people, but it, it was the fastest I had ever done it. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned the uh, that the tornado uh, canceled the event. I, I, I doubt that was actually it. It was just muddy and 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 stuff because uh, as i often tell my friends here in georgia in texas um a tornado siren means get the beer and lawn chairs and go sit out front i mean that's <laughs> that's what you do when you hear a tornado siren it does well you don't run not in uptown dallas okay. you know maybe out in the country they don't know it would have been but you know uptown dallas where all the the yuppies and type people live they run for the storm show people were like they, they told me like get out of the office and go to the kitchen because the kitchen's in like the interior of the building we're at. And I'm like, why? I want to stand and look out the window and watch you come in. And they're like, no, get in the office. And I went, okay, you have the ability to fire me. I better get in the office. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I was just like, no, it was going to be an outdoor thing and they ended up canceling it. And I was mad because I was looking forward to running and eating a lot of free food at the end. So instead I just went to the gym and, you know, felt like I was dying. But I didn't get. And, I had to go pay for food afterwards. It was and not, ran for fun. Up, yeah, yeah. I'm sure the ble- uh, what is it? The bleeg is mad at you. The blurch, blurch. That's it. Yes. The blurch is mad at you. What is the? I don't understand. Math- <gasps> Matthew Inman's creation. Uh, the the oatmeal. Yes. Um, you you oh, need okay. to go to the oatmeal and read the the reasons I run. Um, that's the best comic ever. Every time I read it, I, I laugh so hard that I don't drink yeah. anything while reading it. He's actually writing a book <laughs> about the Borch. The, the Borch is, is the the inner fat guy who says, you don't want to run. Go have some more ice cream. Go go sit on the couch and eat some potato chips. So, yeah. you, you know, there's the inner fat guy. I hear him very well. But there's also <laughs> the inner lonely guy. And, you know, he's getting to where he's yelling. So he's like, <laughs> you know. He's beating the blurch down for you. He is. He's like, we've tried it his way. We're going to do it mine. And uh, so my problem maybe, is maybe there's the day. inner fat guy, the outer fat guy, the in-between fat guy, the all around, the, the second fat guy that sits right next to the first fat guy. <laughs> um, we're, I'm still dealing with all of that. Um, so uh, in your effort to get healthier and uh, to to change your lifestyle a little bit, have you made any uh, eating choices, for example, any any restaurants you're going to choose not to go to anymore? Well, actually, um, I do like I eat salad for lunch three days this week. Again, I got to go to a doctor. There's something <laughs> wrong with me. I've never done this before. But no, last, uh, you know, I talked a few weeks ago about this place I went to and overcharged me. Well, I went to a different Sonic restaurant this last week and they did the exact same thing. Overcharge, you know, again, I don't care how much you want to charge. Just the price that you put on the board needs to be the price the order rings up for. And I went, I was like, okay, that cost 539. What is eight and a quarter percent tax on 539 added in there? This is how much it should be. So I ordered it and it was like 11 cents too much. So I said, I need to see the receipt when they brought it out. And I went, you overcharged me. I, I'm not going to pay for this. And so I just, you know, I can't say I'll never eat at Sonic again, but it will be a very long time because it's just, I, I don't know. And people don't understand. For me, it's the principle of the thing. I don't care about 11 cents. I care about the fact that it's basically, you know, it, it amounts to your lying to your customers. You're saying it's going to be this much and it comes out to be more. Um, it shouldn't be whatever you say it should be is the amount it's showing up for. And so, 
you know, I'm boycotting Sonic now because the exact same thing has happened to me at two different Sonics owned by two different companies. So it's not like, um, it's not like the same franchiser owns both of them. They're two different franchisee places. And so again, you know, I called and complained. And the second time they're like, Oh, we'll send you out something. I went, why? I'm never going to use it. I'm <laughs> right. not going back to your store. Keep it and maybe just stop lying to people. And so. <laughs> Uh, you know, I posted on Facebook my whole story, and now I'm telling the Element OP faithful, and Sonic has lost my one transaction a week I was giving them. So I'm I'm sure they're hurting. Well, you well, know, then, it's never a good business to lose a customer, but when you lose a fat guy and you're in the food business, that's, you know, that's a mistake. That, I mean, yeah, obviously, I love, yeah, that is pretty and I love to eat out. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> well, well, Seth, you know what? I'll make sure they get a, at least a chunk of money this week because I'll, you know, uh, Friday I have to go up to where the local Sonic is because I have to drive three and a half hours to go to Sonic. Um, it just so happens we have other things going on in that town, but um, we are definitely going to Sonic that day because I want me some all-American hot dogs. Interesting. Well, so the hot dog is what you go for at Sonic. I do. I love their hot dog. I don't, I, I don't believe there is any difference between a good hot dog and a bad hot dog. It's a hot dog. It's ground buttholes and lips. <laughs> I mean, I don't really see how there's a quality differential. That is only because, Mark, you ate at the BSU where we had hot dogs every other week for like five <laughs> straight years. Your hot, but your hot dog sensitivity has been destroyed. Now, there having said that, I mean, I am particular. The only two brands of hot dogs I buy are Nathan's uh, Old Fashioned and Hebrew National um, because they are they are the topper top end of buttholes and lips. Uh, yeah, so, you know, it's kosher buttholes and lips. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think that makes kosher, does it? I don't. I don't know. I've never asked. Um, <laughs> that's one of the things I'm. I'm. I'm going to try to do next uh, in my own charcuterie practices. I'm going to make some hot dogs because it seems to be. You know, it's a. It's something my kids will eat, uh, and b. It's kind of universal, and I, I think I can do it. So that that is something I will be experimenting with in the near future. Um, awesome. awesome. You'll have to let us know how it comes out. Oh, you know I will. Uh, of course. We'll have a we'll have a whole episode called Hot Dogs. <laughs> Hot Dog Talk. <laughs> well, I told you I made some sausage recently, right? I made some Italian sausage links. Yep. Right. Uh, that was fun. Um and it was tasty. Good. Yeah, it came out really nice. The breakfast sausage was nah, I, I didn't season it enough. But the uh, the Italian sausage came out good. But anyway. Um I know I should recognize this name. Chris, because you've mentioned it before, but I can't for life for the life of me remember what is Corora. Corora is the Fedora bastard child that has all of the extra goodies put into it automatically, kind of like Mint is for Ubuntu. All right, Corora is for Fedora. Okay. Um. And so you so, started using it? No. Well, yeah, I've been using it for a while now because I've I got tired of going to find all my bits and pieces for Fedora. But I had a friend of mine who needed a laptop, and I just happened, you know, to be in the business of finding laptops and selling laptops. So uh, I told her that I had one in my shop that was um, my old one, that but didn't have a Windows license. So if she wanted it, she'd have to either license it or run Linux. And she looked at me and she goes, "Would you teach me Linux if I just ran Linux?" And I go, "Uh, yeah." That's kind of so, what I do. 
Yeah, that's kind of what I do. So uh, she uh, got her first lesson last night on the basics of how Corora works. And uh, she went, this is just like Windows. Why doesn't everyone run this? So, uh, yeah, I was I was a little happy about that. So in your teaching her, did you say, whatever you do, don't listen to the Everyday Linux podcast? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I, I subject her to it every once in a while because a lot of times when I come here, um, it's dinner time in my time zone. And so my family is already probably over there having dinner instead of here with dinner and making me hungry. So, uh, yeah, they know all about it. They listen every once in a while because uh, I force them to. Cool. I recommend forcing people to listen to the show. That's how we have as many listeners as we do. That's right. Gunpoint, um, man. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like That's drinking beer. You know, the first the first four or five times you drink it, you don't like it and throw up, but eventually you acquire a taste for it. So. <laughs> I just never could get behind the concept of an acquired taste. I don't like it, but I'm going to keep drinking it so that I don't mind like it, it anymore. Um. And and that that same mentality uh, mentality mentality same mentality happens in the in the computer world all the time. Oh, you don't like Windows eight? Just keep using it for a while. It won't suck as much after you get used to it. Yeah, yeah it pretty much will. I'll just learn to deal with the suckage. Um, and you know, the, I've, I've heard that in Linux too. You'll get used to it after a while. I don't want to get used to it. I want it fixed. <laughs> I still yeah. It still bo- bugs me. That I have to copy things from Osamba Share to local file to edit them and copy them back up because I can't mount the Samba Share easily. With this 2014, we should be able to do that. Yeah, Mark, I think it's just you. I don't have a problem doing that. Well, it depends on the. I mean, the, it has come a long way, but there are some things that it just won't won't let me do it. I have to I have to cop, make a local copy and then do it and then push it back. And I can't. I'm trying to remember. Just this week, I had a recent example of that. I forgot what it was. I was editing some particular type of file that it just it didn't want me to. It was it was a permissions problem between Linux permissions and, and Samba permissions, Windows permissions. Huh. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. It's just that there are things that that should be fixed. They should be better now. Yeah, and, they should be. And we're not yet. And maybe it's just because I'm not using the right brand of Linux. Maybe if I used Black Lab Linux, all of these problems would be fixed. Yeah, maybe exactly. So uh, we'll see, but we're not there yet. Hold on, Roberto. Easy, easy. No. Uh, so uh, okay, e waste by the tons. What's that, Chris? Uh, yeah, we uh, we had another e waste push here in my local uh, for my local town where the uh, the uh, county com- or not the county commissioner. He's the uh, senate the or uh, sanitarian put up a big. Um, you know, hoopla and made sure that it was published and postered and splattered over everything he can to get everyone to bring their e-waste down on Saturday. Well, at the last time I looked before they closed the doors, they had filled three pup semis full. Wow. So yeah. that, there was a pent up demand to get rid of that stuff. Well, and I'm, I, I didn't ask, but I was curious to find out how much of the city's e-waste went in there. But uh I know I watched four or five pickup loads come in from different people, not just you know the schools or the or the college or or just like that, but they were people's personal belongings being brought up, and there were pickup loads 
And I remember one individual, he brought two pickups because he had that much stuff that he didn't want wow. to throw away. I see these are people like wow. you who are who are small business owners. They 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 have to be because the average consumer when a TV breaks, they just chuck it in the trash and don't think about the fact that it's got lead in it. Um, no, uh, a lot of the problem I I have to to I would almost bet on is the hoarder mentality. Because they'll think they'll think about fixing it and then so they'll set it aside and because for there for a long time rent and storage spaces were so cheap in the area, they just piled it up. So See, I, that's another thing I never could get behind the the renting a space to hold more stuff. You have that much stuff. My my wife and I have this conversation every few years. She decides that we need a storage space for more stuff, and I tell her every time, "No, we're going to throw it out." And if we ever need it again, we'll take the money that we would have spent on renting storage and go buy a new one. Problem solved. Yep. Yeah, that's how I feel about it, too. There you go, Mark. You're applying logic and reason <laughs> to uh, personal relationships. There's, you're, you're begging for a beatdown. Speaking of personal relationships, we're recording this on Mother's Day. Um, at least two of us are married uh, and have uh, to, married to a mother, and all of us mm-hmm. have mothers. So uh, we we uh, just want to say we appreciate the wives for letting us have this time. The real reality is, my wife anyway was happy to get rid of me for a couple hours, um, and so you know that that was no sacrifice on her part. But uh, we did go and we had the obligatory mo- uh, dinner out at a restaurant where we waited three and a half hours to get in because everybody Ooh. was having the obligatory. No, it wasn't quite that long, but it was an hour and a half. Um, wow! And then you know, bought food that was too expensive, and you know, it's what you do. It's what you do on Mother's Day, and then again on Father's Day, we'll do the same thing with a with a steakhouse that's just that's the yes. american thing you eat happy happy celebration eat and they well, wonder why the we're the fattest nation you cooked roberto yes i did all right for your wife no my mom for your mom okay yeah <laughs> it works yeah it does. that's cool everybody has so what, did, what did you cook um well i cooked chicken and pork chops there you okay. go. Yeah, it worked. The 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 white meat option. See, I'm I'm a Texan. Chicken and pork chop is not the other white meat. It's just that's that stuff that you don't talk about. It's beef <laughs> in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> what what part of the cow do you want? The lips or the no? That's, <laughs> that's an odd dog. There are certain signs of the apocalypse that the end times are upon us, and uh, Seth's new link, uh, next link here is one of those signs. Uh, the world Uh-oh. is coming to an end. Um, uh, Armageddon is near because the mighty Morphin Power Rangers are going to get a movie. Another, another movie, another Mark. Movie. They, they've, yeah. There have been several oh, um, no. Power Ranger movies, but this is apparently going to be a reboot and maybe more darker, less campy <laughs> stuff. But <laughs> Yes, because uh, anyway, that's what I, America needs, a darker, brooding group of pastel-colored Guys in helmets. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I put it, I called it future bad movie. Um, so I'm sure once it comes out, it'll either be just like, was that Power Rangers or was that X-Men second first class? Um, or it'll just be, I think Asylum got into big budget movies. So I don't know what it'll be, but 
if you go to the link in the show notes, there's this gif of uh, the original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers doing like this little dance step, and it's kind of funny <laughs> just to watch. Yeah. It Frightening and, and sad is what it is. Definitely. Well, maybe they'll be smoking cigarettes and dr- drinking a beer. You never know. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> the, inside the That's tortured dark. soul of the Red Ranger, what <laughs> darkness makes him tick? Find out in the new Mighty Morphin Morphine Power Rangers. <laughs> You'd have to have me in morphine to put me in a suit like that. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, uh, I, some I, other drug anyway, I grew up on Voltron and Thundercats, were the, which were no less stupid. It's it's just that but I'm they were cartoons. That, that, that's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah. Mighty Morphin Power and Seth. I'm going to I'm going to out you, brother. Seth was 21 years old in college and was way more into the Power Rangers than any human should be. And I, <laughs> I questioned your sanity then. And I question it even more now that you even know that this movie is coming. Well, one, I came, I stumbled across it perusing my links. And two, uh-huh. it was cheese. And I acknowledged it as cheese at the time. I did not <laughs> subscribe to any greatness of the Power Rangers, but it was, it was fun in a bad movie Sharknado kind of way. What, resulting in more black eyes on school playgrounds than no anything kidding. in the history of humanity. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Okay, um, we got, as always, uh, I, I, we have a ton of news. We're not going to do it all. Uh, I, I'm skipping the listener feedback. We had a listener feedback show last week. We've got a guest on this week, so I'm going to skip over that. I just didn't put anything in there. And so let's get on to some of the, the technology news of the week. And this is interesting. Microsoft, you know, it's that typical ask a question in your headline. Is Microsoft losing its grip? On the the enterprise, yeah. Um, so supposedly, seven out of ten people don't use Microsoft Office anymore. And this is a study done by the company Softwatch that claims, uh, you know, they did this three month study with almost one hundred and fifty thousand employees at fifty one different firms and found out that uh, outside of Outlook, pretty much, you know, Excel gets used on the average of eight minutes a day. Um, and 29% of employees never use Excel or Word, um, or to only view documents sent to them. And so more than, and the thing about that is like 47% of Microsoft's annual revenue comes from, uh, licensing. Um, so this could be a big deal for them. And, but then, you know, when you read on down, um, Softwatch is a company that sells its analytics products that allows companies to access whether moving from one expensive license or Microsoft license to another could save them money. And they're also a Google apps reseller. So, you know, I don't know if this is just a headline to try to, uh, you know, encourage people to leave Microsoft office or, you know, is, do, is the only reason people have Microsoft office now is because they used to have Microsoft office in the past. That's well, the problem I complaint. see with this, I'm going to interject for a minute. I work with enterprise customers and education customers, and the one question I get asked all the time is interoperability with Microsoft Office. So some of it may may be true, but some of it may be just, like you said, somebody trying to grab a headline. Yeah. Well, I know personally, I know the, the biggest thing that I push in my school district is the fact that we moved to Google Apps. Why teach to an, an archaic 
program when you can teach the tools that would transcend either they would work in either Google Docs, Live 365, Microsoft Office, or um, I don't know. I can't think of anything else. LibreOffice, whatever. Instead of teaching to the tools, you could you know teach teach the instead of teaching the software, teach the tools. Well, here's a problem with that, Chris. Um, like Google, for instance, they change their software too often for standardized tests and textbooks to keep up with that. And so, you know, you don't want people coming up with content and ways to actually teach something. You want to make a standardized test that you can teach to and make that the substitution for real learning in America. And so yeah. a monolithic, slow moving product like Microsoft Office fits that bill much better than a nimble needs based application suite such as google apps that the analogy i always always used in that environment and still do when anybody asks me is is i never i didn't learn to drive a chevy i learned to drive a car um and there are certain things that are always true like uh if it's a chrysler vehicle the cruise control is going to be on the steering wheel on the right hand thumb button there's going to be a cancel button in the middle and a, a resume accelerate button at the top and a and a decrease a decelerate cancel button on the bottom um that's that's how it is in a Chrysler. If you get get in a Chevy, it's going to be on the blinker thing, and the 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 button is going to be right in the middle of of that to make it go. Uh, it, but you don't have to know that sort of stuff. If you know how to drive a car, you can figure that other stuff out along the way. Right. Uh, so I think it's you know for a long time people taught how to use Microsoft Word two thousand seven, and that was their textbook. When when really what they should have been doing is how to edit in a non-destructive environment using a WYSIWYG editor. Um, but to, to get back to your point about uh, is Microsoft Office dying, I, I will say in, in my environment, uh, Office is everywhere, Excel particularly for what we do, but not because of because Excel is special, but because it's an easy, a spreadsheet is an easy way to view massive amounts of data in um easily manipulatable forms and it doesn't matter what that spreadsheet is in fact just just friday uh i was regarded as a wizard because i knew how to build a relatively complex formula using excel's formula uh, uh language and that's different from from other languages i know going back and forth between LibreOffice and excel the language the the formulas often aren't interchangeable the syntax is different sometimes the whole uh, whole concept of how you do things is different, but but I say that to say in my office everybody uses Excel, but not as Excel. They use it as a row and column display device. Right, right. Uh, and because I knew how to do formulas, I was godlike for a couple of hours. Oh my gosh, you know how to do that? Yeah, it's not all that hard. You just have never had to. Um, so well, good, didn't it? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I I, I just. Frankly, I felt I felt it was a little silly that they were that there was adulation because I knew how to concatenate two columns. Um, but if you don't know how to do that, that's magic. You know, anything yeah. sufficiently advanced is magic. As uh, who was it who said that? I, I, anyway, I just blamed. somebody from Star Trek. I think. <laughs> no, it was who said that. Oh, I, don't I know you. Uh, yeah, Asimov. The same way. Isaac Asimov. I think maybe. Anyway, doesn't matter. Um, so. I think Excel has just become the hammer that everybody has, and so every problem looks like a nail. 
So yeah. that's that's the way Office has been, and I, and I I think I might buy the numbers that that their their usage is going down, but that seven out of ten people never touch Office that seems a little skewed to me. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the numbers are skewed, but I think the numbers will be that way not too far from now. Um, I think once at least like in, like in my environment, for example, my middle school kids have been doing. Google Docs for everything. They don't use Word anymore or spreadsheet yeah. or Excel or PowerPoint. They, none of them. They all use Google Docs. So in three and years, it's Arthur those- C. Clark. Sorry. All right. Thank you. Yep. Well, I so- mean, PowerPoint, PowerPoint is not really that impressive anymore because PowerPoint, it came around when people needed an easy, less expensive way to do a presentation. Mm-hmm. Now, when you see people, what, what they use most is on a video. Yeah. Right. They but don't point, do though, is, PowerPoint is- that much. Right. But like I was saying, these, these kids are, you know, they're three years before they're high school kids. So in three years, when all those kids that were our Google Docs only users move into my high school and my, my current vice principal, he's going to get his head rearranged a little bit because they're all going to be saying, I don't want this word. Yeah. Why are you teaching me word? I know Google Docs. Let me use my Google Docs. I, 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 we, we can't spend too much time on this story or it will become the XL podcast. But, uh, <laughs> I had an experience, uh, at my school, we had just done away with printing and, and we had become paperless as much as, as we possibly could. And the way we did that was we just stopped buying ink and we told, told the teacher, there's the printer. It's still there. If you want it, go buy it, go to Walmart, buy your own ink. But we're not, we don't do that anymore. Um, and then that we moved from there, we had the, the, uh, a couple of network color laser printers, like one in each hall. So if you had to print, uh, but then we took printing away from the students. So if you wanted to print something, you had to send it to a teacher first because we were getting pages and pages of WWE wrestlers, uh, being printed out, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and so <laughs> it, it, what I say that to say after a few years of, of changing the, uh, the culture of the school, we had a substitute teacher come in one day. And the teacher, the students all had an assignment, and she said, "Now everybody, print out your uh, your homework, uh, your assignment, and then we'll we'll grade it." And the students were like, "We don't we don't know how to do that." What do you mean you don't know how to, you, you don't know how to print? We we don't we don't print. Well, how do you do things? Well, it's Google Docs. We just share it with the teacher. And it, she, it, her mind was blown. I, I it was two paradigms colliding. I, I, and she was like, "I don't understand what words are coming out of your mouth. I don't understand. How do you turn in homework without printing?" And they were on the other side. Why? Why do we need to print? That's stupid. When I can click a share button and it's there, we have a folder. I just do it. Why do you want us to print it? And so it was two people, two different generations looking at each other, going, "You are not speaking the same language I am." And it was yep. both beautiful and tragic at the same time. Uh, and that's that's kind of where I'm at right now is I'm having the same problem with my administration. So anyway, yeah, we don't print. And so now I'm known around the office as the guy who hates paper. We go to <laughs> we go to we have meetings and they're passing around paper agendas. I don't want that. It was emailed to us. Why why would I want that? I already have a copy right here on my phone. It's on your ta- phone or right. tablet. Yeah, yeah. Or somebody will come to my cube and and ask for a pen. I, let me go see if I have one. I don't. Can it, I got a post-it note right here on my computer. I got a little yellow. I can put it there if you want. I can email it to you. I can instant message it to you. Why do you need a pen? So I'm I'm that guy. I'm not that extreme yet. I still have my post-it notes in my little notebook next to me, but uh, I'm getting there. 
the only time I use paper is if I'm like on a phone call and I just have to jot down a couple of words really quickly. And then I quickly transcribe that to something electronic yeah. and throw the paper away. I just That's what I'm doing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the next story, I don't get why it's there, but <laughs> it was important to somebody. LXQT is a thing. It is. I think Chris put this in. Yes. Um, <laughs> oh, no, yes. Yes, I did. It is real. <laughs> it is real. It is awesome. This is the baby of LXD, LXDE or LXMD, whatever, the LX projects and the and uh, the Razor QT project. They have merged and they've put the first, their first public release. And I have yet to put it in any of my desktops because I don't have a test environment yet for it, but I am ecstatic. <laughs> I now will have my QT in a super lightweight environment. I am happy. All right, and QT, in case you don't know, is the the – the foundation platform of KDE. Correct. So Correct. Chris is a big KDE fan. So this is the stripped down KDE in a super light environment, basically. Yep. Yeah. This will make all of my machines that I run KDE and just go, oh, why is it so long? Come back. <laughs> <laughs> I want my speed to back to speedy. I and, am very happy. And interestingly, it's cute. That's how they pronounce it. Yep. QT is cute. Um, and in the land of lawsuits, somebody is filing filing suit against Facebook for privacy, I would imagine. No, actually, um, if you've heard of Oculus, the virtual reality the Rift, Facebook, yep. Uh, yep. Facebook bought last month for like $2 billion, um, Zenimax Media is like has litigation going on with them because Zenimax Oh, claimed- that's beautiful. <laughs> so they're not Zen- going to sue Oculus because Oculus doesn't have any money. But they right. get bought by a multi-billion-dollar company, then the lawyers come out, right? And uh, because Zenimax claims that one of their former employees improperly shared some of its tech with Oculus for use in the Rift virtual reality headset, and um, of course they respond, "We are disappointed, but not surprised by Zenimax actions, and we will hmm. prove that all of its claims are false. There is not a line of Zenimax code or any of its technology." in any oculus product so yeah um you know wow go figure somebody suing facebook uh, yeah. the thing that always bugs me about these lawsuits and i i don't know the particulars of this case but it's almost always microsoft does this every time you are infringing on our code all right show us the code that we're infringing on no we can't do that that would be divulging a, a, a corporate secret so how can we defend that we're not using your code if you won't show us what the code is oh it's in there trust us you're using our code. Which yeah. code is it? No, we can't tell you that. Pay us a license. For what? We can't tell you for what. We just need a license. Yeah, if people do that, it's called um, protection and you can go to jail. But if companies <laughs> do that, um, you have to pay lawyers. So It I'm would be a bad thing if something myself. bad should happen to your shop here. And I'm yeah. not saying, I'm just saying. Let me give you an offer. You maybe can't refuse so much. So I'm going to be announcing the Seth Anderson Protection Incorporated LLC, um, and, uh, see what, see what can become of that. And, uh, moving on, we might have a new definition for the term kernel panic as Linux kills from on high. What? Yes. Um, 
apparently U.S. droneware used to be done by Solaris, um, you know, which doesn't really exist anymore. It's kind of Oracle now. And the thought of Oracle powering U.S. drones is kind of a terrifying thing. So they are switching to Linux um, to be their drone powered um to be the operating system of their drones. And so I thought it was kind of cool. Um, Linux not only got the gig, but uh, it, it kind of displays Solaris, and it's enabling development of a more intuitive system and easier future software upgrades, presumably, presumably for more accurate delivery of death from above. Nah, yeah, the Northrop Grumman MQ-8, known as the Fire Scout, an unmanned helicopter that offers unprecedented situation awareness, precision targeting support, and is capable of carrying hellfire or laser-guided missiles. All with a pretty smiling penguin on it. Awesome. Yeah, baby. It's going to be raining <laughs> hellfire and brimstone. <laughs> But at least, it, you know, that's better than it running Windows. Right. Imagine if one of those things blue screened. Are you sure you want to deploy the missile? <laughs> oh, look, I see you're trying to deploy Hellfire. Do you want some help with that? <laughs> A little paperclip tapping on your screen. <laughs> Would you like to incinerate your enemies now? <laughs> no, Don't I was just doing a systems check. <laughs> So that's activation now. Yes, you got. We're sorry, we can't launch this missile. You've not activated your warheads. Uh, (laughs) That was was recently restarted to install important updates. Click here for this message to go away. (laughs) So Jack Bauer returned this week in twenty four. Live another day. Uh, I was never been a big fan of the original series, but I thought I'd give this a try. I watched it, and ironically, the plot of the pilot was a drone being hacked. And killing people. And so now, you know, any good Linux, any good neckbeard can hack a hellfire. Oh, Mark, we should have saved this as the lead into the Linux Academy. That would have been perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we go straight to the Linux Academy now? <laughs> so if you want to learn how to rain down death from above, go visit our friends. No, I'm not sure that's the ad they would want. Uh <laughs> Oh, and the next story is not surprising. The Wii U still sucks. Right. Yes. Um, you know, if anybody found $456 million laying around, that's how much money Nintendo lost last year. So if you could like give oh, them wow. back to them, they might give you a Wii U. Um, or if you just say that like you don't like something, they might just give you a Wii U because nobody wants them. Um, go figure. Yeah. And apparently, I mean, you know, that's it. People love the Nintendo DS I 48 re- revamped with a half micron bigger screen so you can rebuy all your games again. But, uh, their Wii U, it just, you know, it was built super cheap. It doesn't have the graphics or hardware specs to compete with the current generation of, uh, of consoles that are out there and their, um, the controller, they, they haven't, there isn't that killer app that really make the controller be a competitive reason to buy the Wii U over something. You know, the fact that you can stop playing on the TV and continue playing on your controller is one of the big selling points, but none of the games are cool enough to make that a big deal. So, yeah, Nintendo lost. I mean, they're approaching rim territory now um, with their <laughs> losses. So here's hoping Nintendo turns it around because 
you know, without Nintendo, we wouldn't have the Konami code. And where would we be without that in our lives? It, no it would be a sadder, sad, much more sad existence. It would. I might have made it to my eight, my first period college class <laughs> if I hadn't been playing that game so much. Yeah, if it weren't for Super Street Fighter 2, I might have passed uh, political science the first time around. <laughs> um, and I can't come up with a lead into this one, so I'm just going to say the Pwn Phone. Yes, the um, phone. there is an Android-based phone that is kind of, you know, I think we talked about the Pwn Pad a while back, but now this is an actual phone that is kind of designed to be, you know, we've talked about distros such as Cantana or um, I can't remember any of the other names now um, that are kind of like hacking distros for pen right. testing. Um, this is kind of what the Pwn phone is for. You can like uh, pen test your network. Cool. Um, and it's an, it's an LG Nexus 5 phone, so it's not like a crappy phone. Um, but it is, um, it's like I say, it's, they kind of list some of the software. It's got like a total of 103 network monitoring and attack tools loaded, 26 of which have been configured for launch by touch from the device's home screen. Yeah, so, and the company, I love it, is called the Pony Express, P-W-N-I-E, oh, Pony Express. He says, what we've done is take an Android 4.4 KitKat, recompiled the kernel. Uh, on the back end, it runs our own derivative of Kali Linux called Ponix, and it's running a full-blown Debian OS on the back end of Android. So it's like a Wi-Fi pineapple from yeah. the Hack 5 guys. But way Just, more powerful. So, But in a phone. Right. Yeah. So you, cool. you know you don't have to lug your 17-inch Alienware laptop around to do pen testing anymore. You can do it from their pocket. Yeah, that and you know, and with the batteries me. it would have, this would be, you know, it basically is an IT director's kind of nightmare because this can be on and running wirelessly for hours and hours, and it doesn't have to be near some outlet. It could just be, you know, dropped somewhere inconspicuous. Uh, gathering whatever it can gather on your network. Yeah, this scares me a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. Well, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, the tools are all out there. This is, it's like a metasploit. You know, uh, I'm going to put all these terrible tools in one place and trust you to not do bad things with them. Yeah. This is, this is the hardware version of metasploit. Yeah. Like I said, this scares me a little. <laughs> <laughs> Metasploit scared me a little. This scares me a little bit more. So yeah, this is kind of spooky. Yeah, that's uh sometimes you can yeah. it's hard to tell whether that hat is black or white. Well, or but you know, this really, way you really can gray. buy it and you don't have to go around to hunt for all these tools. They've put it in a place so you can see how um vulnerable your network is. So yeah. all of the hackers out there know how to get these tools anyway. And us good guys, we don't have time to go out and find all the tools, so he put them in one place for us. Um, you know, that would be a way to spin it and not sound bad. Yeah, that's the only way to spin this without <laughs> sounding bad. But what I want to know is, can the Pwn phone look at porn? And if it does, will you be locked up for security reasons? Uh, darn, you went to a... You didn't go in order here. Uh <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, you know, um, we've talked we've talked before about ransomware, and um, I've I've told I've shared the story how I am very grateful for the ransomware writers because they gave me the impetus 
to quit slash get fired from my old crummy job. Well, now Android phones have it as well. Um, you get this um, thing that pops up and it's like, attention, your phone has been blocked for safety reasons. You've accessed child porn, pay the fine, blah, blah, blah. And you can cancel it and it'll stay gone for five seconds, but it'll come back up. Um, and the way they figured that out is um, some people got this on their machine. They would kill it. And luckily the the app was on the home screen. So in the five, in the five seconds, it was off. He could find it and delete it. Um, but yeah, so basically ransomware is no longer a Windows only tool. Uh, the first, the first, um, story I found on this claimed to be crypto locker has come to Android. Yeah. Well, no, it's not crypto locker. It's just basic ransomware. Uh, crypto locker is probably not till next week. So, you know, don't, don't get worried ahead of time. But yeah, so ransomware is now it, it's jumped platforms and it can affect Android machines as well. You got to go look. That obviously, the link will, to this will be in the show notes. We got to go look at the screen cap of this thing. It's awesome. It's got a picture of an angry-looking Obama pointing at you, um, and it says, "You are accused of viewing and storing and/or disseminating of banned pornography, child pornography, zoophilia, rape, etc. You violated the World Declaration on Non-Proliferation of Child Pornography. You are accused of committing the crime envisaged by Article One Sixty One of the United States of America Criminal Law." And then it, you can't read anymore because it falls off the screen. Yes. <laughs> that would, you know, that's scary. Obama pointing at me is a scary thing. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, whatever. If you get fished by this, you probably deserved it. Yeah. You know, remember we <laughs> talked about the story where this one guy turned himself in because yes. of ransomware yes. on his computer. He, he thought he had been busted and went and turned himself in for uh, child porn. Um, so sometimes they can be good guys so for now i would like to uh pause two minutes for uh the end of everyday linux and the beginning of apple haters weekly seth go (laughs) uh which one is this the the excerpt oh Ah, darn it which one is my stupid phone here um hold on they're going from the bottom no, I, yeah, I'm. Please His phone pause has the ransomware while on my. It. <laughs> uh, please that pause was, while my computer catches up. I just got to say that was a good transition. I was going to throw it to you. It was going to be very smooth, and you blew it. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, con- um, contrary to the image it has cultivated in the popular press, Apple has admitted in internal documents that its strength is not in developing new technologies first but in successfully commercializing them. When Apple was developing its campaign to promote the first iPhone, it considered and rejected advertisements that touted alleged Apple's first with the iPhone. As one Apple employee explained in an overly exuberant or explained to an overly exuberant Apple marketer, I don't know how many things we can come up with that you can legitimately claim we did first. Certainly, we have the first successful versions of many features, but that's different than launching something to market first. In this vein, the employee methodically explained that Palm, Nokia, and others had first invented the iPhone's most prominent features. Um, anyway, basically... You know, and we've said it before, Apple is a great marketing company who produces top-notch hardware, not that they necessarily invent anything. You know, DEC made the first mobile 
media player that I, you know, Apple launched the first iPod and the iPod was the first commercially successful one, but not the first one. Deck was actually, um, somewhere between five and 10 years ahead of them with the, uh, disc based song storage thing. And then, you know, and again, they weren't the first with the smartphone. They were just the most successful. They were the first commercially successful of many things, but not necessarily the first. And, uh, you know, it just, Eric, anyway, that's just all I wanted to say. Apple, good for you. I'm glad somebody admitted the truth and I'm glad it kind of came out in one of the many court documents between Apple v. Samsung World Domination Volume 789 that is currently playing out across the globe. And that concludes this week's episode of Apple Hades Haters Weekly. We now return you to the Everyday Linux podcast. <laughs> So in in uh, protest to the FCC's quote unquote fast lane proposal, uh, a uh, uh, internet service provider has decided to throttle the FCC. Yes, okay. I thought this. I thought this is awesome. Yes, uh, I don't know if this is. Um, his actual thing, but I think it is, he calls it the Ferengi plan. Um, the Ferengi plan is a special FCC only plan that costs $1,000 per year and removes the 28.8 KBPS modem throttle to the FCC. Uh, we will happily take credit cards, bitcoins, and, uh, dog coins? Dogecoin. Dogecoin from coins, crooked yeah. FCC executives that probably have plenty of money from bribes, uh, on our donation page. Sorry, we don't accept Latinum yet. Um, but I just thought it was funny that, um, here is an ISP fighting back against the FCC, taking a stand, even if it is somewhat of a symbolic stand because they're only throttling to like the front pages right. um, of net city's site. Um, and it basically bottlenecks anything coming from the FCC's IP address to 28.8 speed. So not even a 56 K modem, a 28.8 modem. I just wow. thought it was great. And I wanted to say way to go. Neo cities. Um, kudos to you from me yeah so th that that's their they're taking this quote-unquote fast lane plan and and carrying it to the logical extreme all right so if you have um if you can pay extra to get speed over your normal speed then the logical next step is to reduce your quote-unquote normal speed so that right. anybody who actually wants anything has to pay for the fast lane and that's how you get to pay get people to pay for internet three or four times most of us are already paying for internet two or three times right for example i pay for it at home and on uh two different phones i'm paying for internet three times plus the people i uh pull down from are paying for internet as well so every time i access the web i'm paying for it minimum of twice uh, up to four times but they're too greedy and that's not okay for them they want to say that if you actually want real good stuff, if you want to use our OC3 cable in the back there, well, you got to pay extra for that. Otherwise, this T1 line will do fine for the rest of the country. 300 million users on 1.5 megabits. We're okay with that. That seems to be a good normal baseline of bandwidth. But if you want extra, we can have a talk. Yeah. You know, it's like you have speeds up to 487 <laughs> megabytes, um, but we'll only guarantee... Um, four meg or four K. 
Um, if you want the guaranteed 487 megabytes, well, that's going to be the extra money. But, you know, otherwise you can have the standard speed with variable up to the max. So I, I think it's cool. Um, again, I love Neo Cities for doing this. Um, I, I hope. I hope uh, somehow this works out well for them and for the net because it's just, uh, you know, it's going to relegate. The, the sad fact is this would relegate America um, has third world country in terms of Internet access. And that seems to be OK. Everybody seems to be OK with that. Um, and I'm not. But, you know, what are we willing to do to fight it? So I'm glad Net Cities is doing something or Neo Cities. Neo Cities. I'm sorry. All right, and this next one just another case of stupid people being stupid. Oracle decides that they're going to copyright their API. So let me back up just a little bit, Seth, before we go into this. Okay. For for our our noob type listeners, our our uh, grandma listeners out there. Let's talk about a little bit about what an API is. It stands for Application Programming Interface. It's a set of code that you release to the public and say, if you want to use our system, you can use this code to do so. Everything has an API. It's it's a very standard thing. So, like for example, if I want to uh, use um, Android, if I want to use an app, write an app that works on Android. I don't have to know the Android code. There's a set of APIs out there that say, if you use this code, we will grab a file. If you use this code, we will send that file. If you use this code, we will display this text. So the only way anything gets done is with an API. Oracle got mad because Google re-engineered their API and basically wrote their own version of Java. Mm-hmm. Now, their solution to that is saying, oh, well, our API code is copyrighted. It's like a book now. You can't copy it because we own the copyright on this thing that we freely distribute. Right. And this was where um, I think we talked about this back in 2012 when a judge basically agreed with Google and said um, the code in question could not be copyrighted. But. Uh, you know, Oracle said, Hey, our lawyers, uh, have to work for us, whether there's a case or not. So we're going to go ahead and appeal this just to see what happens. And, um, a three judge, uh, uh, from a three judge panel from the U.S. appeals court, um, Friday ruled that, um, because we conclude that the declaring code and structure, blah, 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 basically they're reinstating the jury's infringement finding has to the 37 Java packages. So basically they said, um, Hey, Google was, um, Google did actually infringe on Oracle's, um, copyright and Oracle can copyright their APIs. And again, I don't think it, this is, I was hoping for some more uncommon sense in this case. I just think that the people who are making these laws and rulings, I wonder what kind of technology they have. Uh, you know, do, do they know how to turn on their computer or does someone turn it on for them? You know, do they know how to write code? Um, or do they think that just, you know, it magically works when I press this button? I don't think they understand what they're doing, but that's not stopping them from 
trying to change and take control of things they know nothing about. Um, yeah, it says here that 97% of the code is unique between uh, Oracle and uh, Dalvik, which is the Android uh, Java API package thing. 97% is unique. 3% has overlapping names and overlapping structures. I would mm-hmm. posit that if you look at any program written by any two groups of people, 3% of it is going to overlap. For example, if I'm going to print something, I'm going to call the command print. Yeah. If I'm going to open a file, I'm going to call the command open. Open. Why? Because I'm not an idiot. So th- that's <laughs> this thing here because because two different groups of people working independently overlapped 3% of their effort. This is a multi-billion dollar lawsuit. Right. And, you know, and geneticists um, will debate whether it is one and a half to seven percent uniqueness in the DNA of humans and chimpanzees. Um, you know, so, again, we're talking that level of difference. You know, one is a human, one is a chimp. Um, although I do know some humans that would call this next statement into question. You can look at them and tell the difference. Um <laughs> You know, but you know, most people would be able to say, uh, that's a chimp and that's a human, two separate things that share some characteristics. But if you're talking about code, um, there's just as much difference, but yet we think that's a patent infringement. I just, I don't understand. Again, I don't think they understand either. And that's the problem. Yeah. I, that is a big problem. But I have a question. Go ahead. Uh, didn't Sun sue Microsoft in the, in uh, like ninety seven for the same thing? Yes, and Microsoft just decided to pay up. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, so that's why it wasn't a big deal. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, the next thing in the uh, what Seth calls the because Mark loves numbers, uh, everybody who wants a tablet has one. <laughs> yes. Um, of course, this is the title of their headline is Apple's tablet market share suffers as tablet growth slows. Um, and basically, you know, for a while, even the regular media has been reporting how fast the tablet market was growing and how the desktop market was shrinking and all this kind of stuff. Well, there's data coming in that um, shows that Apple saw a 16.1% decline year over year for the first quarter. Um, so basically last year they shipped 19 and a half million. Uh, this past year they shipped 16.4 million. So almost a one third decline. Um, and the same thing with uh, some of, uh, with most of the Android uh, makers as well. Tablets seem to be plateaued or maybe even shrinking suggesting that maybe the market is becoming saturated for tablets i mean you know like me personally i have two tablets i really don't know that i have much use for any more um unless i get rid of some one or both of them first or maybe maybe it's the post tablet era already (laughs) yes wearable tech Sticking with my assertion that any time numbers are presented in uh, presented in the form of percentages, they're bogus. Apple's numbers uh, uh, market share declined by sixteen percent. Samsung grew by thirty two percent. Okay, those seem, seem reasonable. Lenovo grew by two hundred twenty four percent. They sold two tablets this year instead of one. 
Right. <laughs> so yeah, but the grand total year over year growth for tablet was uh 3.9 just under 4%. Um so again, you know, and again, it's not like the PC market shrinks, it just doesn't grow. It's kind of stagnant. Well, I think less than 4% you could almost say is uh stagnant. So we'll see is that a is that just an anomaly of this particular quarter? Is it going to take back off uh in the second quarter and next year? Um, does everybody who have a tablet want one? Yeah, that, that I stick my, by my initial assertion. If you want one, you've got one. Now they've become cheap enough and available enough. Uh, I went to, um, a local restaurant, uh, the other day and, and now they have little tablets at the table where you can order drinks and pay for your food right there. Little five inch ta- and they're crap. The, the touch screen is resistive rather than capacitive. You got to mash on it. It's not good, but it's fine for what they do, and you know they've got a hundred tables in there. They had to buy a hundred of those. Obviously, they weren't going to pay a thousand bucks each for them. But I think now we're to the point where the tablet is so commoditized that we're making up reasons to use it. Let's yeah, put one exactly. at the table so you can push. I want another drink instead of raising your hand and telling the waiter you want another drink. But those, we uh, need a tablet those, for that. Those flag makers for ponchos are going out of business. <laughs> Yeah, like the Microsoft, the original Microsoft Surf- Surface was a table, and their idea was that uh, you'll be able to see the menu and everything displayed on this glass at the table. You know, paper menus have been working for a long time, and the fact is nobody wanted a $10,000 table for you to look at your menu on. Uh, yeah, you know, I think that was... Just, drinks you, on and... <laughs> yes. Um, you know, but M- Bill Gates had the uh, idea for the tablet PC before the hardware was ready. Right. So I think maybe Microsoft's idea for the table as the computing device, I don't think the hardware was really ready for it. It was too expensive to be commercially right. viable. But I could totally see the uh, you know your table being your computing interface device. Um, yeah, so I, I recently watched... Um, the uh the avengers again just because i love when banner says i'm always angry and smashes i watched the whole movie for that one scene pretty much uh but all the way through that there was this these transparent uh displays with the touch thing and you swipe this over here and and the 3d you know all the through all the marvel universe in these new movies that that has been the interface the the 3d tablet or the 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 paper that rolls out the the various different things there and all of them as i was watching that i was thinking this looks great on film but nobody would ever want to use this because um, no, you don't want a transparent display because then you're looking what's behind your screen instead of what's on your screen. The contrast gets is is almost. Uh, uh, have you ever um, had a, a rotating desktop and it rotated to something that made what you were doing hard to see because you were looking at something dark and then the desktop changed to something dark? Well, imagine that with a transparent display. Every time you change your angle or the lighting changes in the room or somebody walks behind you, the contrary, what you're looking at changes. It's ridiculous. It looks fine on paper. I mean, on film. It looks really cool. And and um, Tony Stark and, and uh, Dr. Banner can have a conversation through a screen, and that's really cool, but it would never actually be functional. And I think yeah. a lot of these things that are happening right now, I think – Unity is a fine example of something that's really cool, but it's never going to actually be functional. 
Yeah, well, we all know my feelings on unity. So, yeah. <laughs> so right. I, I, you know, it's just that's the thing. We're, unity we're, will never be functional. Yeah, we're we're <laughs> in this environment because we can make it cool. Let's make it cool, and we forget to make it functional. My my rants a couple well, weeks ago about uh, ditching the keyboard in favor of touch. Touch is never well, going to be as functional. Movies. movies are there for because it just looks cool. It looks cool when they throw objects across screens. It just looks cool, right? And that's fine. It's about the Minority Report interface looked cool, but who wants to get tennis elbow working a spreadsheet? Nobody exactly. actually wants that. Well, and here's the thing: we don't realize is that a lot of those shots are special effects added in. Exactly. That, that conversation yeah. happened between two people and a see-through sheet of plastic. They they CGI'd in the computer screen overlay. The you know Minority Report. How much of that? Was, and so you know everybody's trying to be the next Star Trek. And ooh, hey, look this communicator device that you know, and everybody knows that's one of the inspirations for the cell phone was you know Kurt flipping open his communicator um, so everybody wants to be the new star trek and do all this stuff that looks cool and because we have no reason no good reason to upgrade the hardware we have let's ooh, let's make it look like that movie that's a great reason to upgrade so let's develop something that looks like that and get people to buy stuff that looks like that so we yeah. can be like well, thank you well well if they can get people to buy something like that Great for them, but I hope by the 23rd century, they discover what a cold fusion device is. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. That uh, would be nice. I saw that part in uh, Into Darkness, and I was like, are these people stupid? <laughs> no yeah. wonder they killed each other off centuries before. Yeah, never, never, never watch sci-fi with a physicist. Never watch a computer show with a computer science geek. No kidding. Uh, the... This one of the shows I was watching last season because it was good enough to keep me interesting, but never really liked it was intelligence. It's been canceled now, by the way, but it was all about computing. And every time their lead computer scientist opened his mouth, I would roll my eyes. And my wife was like, what? What? And I was like, never mind. I would just ruin it for you. But everything he said is either crap or or completely uh, irrelevant to what they're talking about. Or both. Like the movie Swordfish. Yeah, I, I haven't seen that one. But there, yeah, that one's awesome. Yeah, just never go see a space movie with a physicist. I, I would never want to go see Star Trek with Neil deGrasse Tyson. You know, just, yeah, I, don't, exactly. I don't want to do that. And you don't want to go see The Net with me. You know, you just you don't want to do that. Yeah, and for, for people out there who think we're just nerds, Take a fireman and rent backdraft. Yes. Yes. Just, just, you know, and watch the fireman go, you can't do that. You can't see anything. I can't believe they made a movie yeah. out of this. So, you know, it's, if you, if you're in your field, you don't want to see movies about your field because it ruins it for everybody involved. Yeah. Watch Isn't a Clancy, smart? watch a Mark, Clancy watch movie with somebody from the too. CA. See War Games 2? Yeah. I didn't even know it existed. Yes, it does exist. Oh, sounds Uh-oh. like a good candidate for the bad movie for him. Yeah, I was just thinking that. As long as my discovery of the net 2.0. <laughs> my favorite terrible tech movie, Johnny Mnemonic. Enough said. Oh, yeah. You could have just said terrible movie. You could <laughs> throw tech in there. 
<laughs> when Dolph Lundgren is your main uh, bad guy, there's you know you, you've got potential there. But then when you make him spout off techno babble, <laughs> you just lost it. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I can't believe that um, Keanu Reeves played both in the Matrix and Johnny Mnemonic because one's a great movie and one's a crappy movie. But he played the same character. He's always played Ted in every movie, right? Yep. You know, he's just he was Ted who could who could do kung fu in the matrix um and there's moments there where you just say something like whoa it's like it's dead dead's back we're (laughs) 69 dude Uh, so while we're talking about great things from the past in 1997 on this date may 11th 1997 something great happened deep blue a chess playing supercomputer defeats gary kasparov in the last game of the rematch becoming the first computer to beat a world champion chess player in a classic match format. Uh, that's either a good thing or a bad thing, depending on your view of technology. But this day... Have you ever history. seen Terminator 3? It's a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, nearly 20 years later, we still haven't come up with a machine that can play perfect chess yet. You would think that that's something, you know, chess is a, is a purely deterministic. There's a, a set number, a finite number of moves and a finite number of combinations based on any uh, board scenario. You would think that would be something computers excel at, but we still can't beat a machine, create a machine with all the technology we have um, that can play perfect chess, that cannot be beaten. Well, that's um, because it's programmed by humans, Mark. Exactly. Um, so if Deep Blue programmed it, we'd be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> or if Watson programmed it. Yeah. Um, what was it? Uh, uh, just It was just a quote just very recently. Um, somebody said, it's fine to make smart computers, just don't make them where they can make other smart computers. Yeah, replicate. It was on uh, yeah. Triangulation with uh, Leo the it? other day. Yeah. Anyway, oh, I can't remember who the, it was. The Palm yep. guy, that's who it was. The guy who invented the Palm. Yep, that's the uh, guy, and I can't think of his name. All right, whatever. Um, so, <laughs> I gotta. This is this is a little listener feedback and a little. I don't know what to put there, but I, I got a great compliment from somebody just today, um, writing a, to us about the show, and they said your show is better than anything on Twit. Oh, well, that's a great compliment. That's awesome. And it's also totally not that true. Awesome but thank you for the great compliment. <laughs> That's totally not true. Um, <laughs> you know, we may be more entertaining than Paul Thorat, but we're certainly not smarter than Steve Gibson. Definitely not. <laughs> um. <laughs> okay. We should so, see if we, we we should see if he would come on the show. That would be just funny to you know for five seconds if he Gibson even yeah if he just showed his face and then left. I, I think I'd be happy to share a, a, a virtual <laughs> meeting room with Steve. I would be happy. Uh, I, I can't even conceive of a, of a universe where we would get that to happen. <laughs> I mean, he's he, Steve Gibson is a special kind of geek. Uh, I've, I was following him since before the Security Now podcast, way back in the days when he was writing, uh, you know, Shields Up and that sort of stuff. And he is just one of those classic super geniuses. Um, that you, there's only a handful of in any generation, and yeah. and you know to get him to to just get on mic and talk for a couple of hours every week is pretty amazing. 
Yeah, because you know he's like, um, yeah, I taught myself uh, JavaScript last week because of yeah. blah blah blah, yeah. and is oh, I invented this uh, supersonic dog pacifier because I got <laughs> tired of the dogs barking it here, and yeah. then oh, and I wrote this open source application because I thought the net yeah. needed a better. Day. I'm just like, dude, I couldn't yeah. do any one of those things poorly, <laughs> and you've I, done them all yeah. <laughs> this year. I woke up this morning and on my way to coffee, learned three new languages. So, uh, there's, I've got that. He's just, he's just one of those guys. And, uh, through, through doing the podcast, I've had the, the privilege of interviewing some just true, brilliant guys. And, uh, and if I could add Steve Gibson to the list, that would be amazing. But that's neither enough, enough geek hero worship. Um, <laughs> I would not want to go to any movie with him where they're talking about technology. <laughs> that um, would be horrible. <laughs> Unless unless he can turn off his brain to watch a, a mindless movie. Yeah, I don't know. And, Maybe when they actually release the Honor Harrington movie, because he's a big Honor Harrington fan, yeah. so I might go see that with him, because he might just like it. Starting tomorrow morning, I will begin reading the uh, the Lost Fleet series. Start with Dauntless. Oh, Largely awesome. because that, of you talking about it, Seth. Th- that, that was an awesome weekend I did that. So, uh, <laughs> How many books is in that set? Six. Uh, six, yeah. Uh, uh, Audible has finally dialed in on what I like, and now every day they're saying, hey, here's a book you might like. Crap, I do like it. i got to buy that one. <laughs> <laughs> and and they offer them to me at a good rate. Hey, it's only five ninety five. Well, okay, that's a good deal. And then I look back at my history. I spent $7,000 last month on five ninety five books because they're really good at what they do. That's, that's- you know who else is really good at what they do? Linuxacademy.com is really good at what they do. And what is it they do? They take people who don't know much about Linux and turn them into Linux administrators. They do this by the way of step-by-step video courses that, that are designed to take you from being a beginner to a certified professional. And uh, we've they've been with us as an advertiser for a long time. We appreciate them being there. And and you know we had some complaints last week uh, from the chat room that their ads run too long. And somebody uh, asked, you know, do they pay you for a five minute ad? Actually, they pay us for a thirty second ad. But you just can't say all the goodness that there is about LinuxAcademy.com in only thirty seconds. I couldn't tell you that they have over two hundred training videos. That each one of those training videos has its own PDF study guide with it, and that they have uh, quizzes that go along with that, and that they have practice exams. And that all of these things are, ex- are organized in in the this easy to you follow module system where you start at the beginning, you know exactly what's expected of you, you know how long it's going to take, you know what you're expected to do, and when you're done with that module, you are trained and certifiable and ready to go. I couldn't do all that in thirty seconds <sighs> and breathe at the same time. <laughs> LinuxAcademy.com, and I I just did all that. I didn't even mention the virtual labs that you get through, through on Amazon Web Services, up to eight machines. You can run any one at a time, un- unless you pay extra for their virtual lab series of things that uh, you can go in there, um, and uh, you can you can. Uh, I just totally lost my train of thought. The, the the virtual lab is a set of different courses that let you run uh, up to three different virtual machines at the same time and i'm not going to talk about pricing of that that's different for each course that you go into but it's real world experience you can set up a virtual server set up another virtual server have those two servers interact with each other have a client in the middle all working on real world virtual equipment in a safe environment so that if you do something stupid like set your home directory to 777 you're not going to get hacked because you're in a secure virtual environment 
You got, and they're adding courses every day. They're 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 about to release a whole bunch of modules on becoming a, a certified Amazon Web Services um, administrator. They're they're adding not not only Linux uh, uh, Uber Geek stuff, but there's also one of the first courses is Introduction to Linux, where it takes you through the history of Linux. It starts you with the basic command line stuff. It moves you through the GUI. They have a whole course on on desktop Linux. It's not all about server stuff anymore. All these things there for an, an unreasonably cheap price frankly $25 a month if you want to go month to month but if you want to buy a, a 12 months in advance that goes down to $19 a month but if you're not sure you're ready to chuck ch- chuck out $25 and see if you like it how about a dollar 14 day trial for a dollar you get in there you look around you look at the videos you download some pdfs you see if you if you like what you see for only a dollar then when you're done and you're ready to commit, and I know you're going to want to be because their stuff is that great. They're EIATI certified. They're CompTIA certified. They're LPIC certified as good as, what is, what's the word? Uh, high quality, excellent content. They, they're just good. That's why I rave about them for five minutes every show. So check them out. And when you do, use Everyday Linux in the referral box and let them know that we sent you there. And hey, yeah. if you think that $19 a month, if you pay annually, is too much. Um, I went searching online and I found a place that for the bargain price month, bargain price of $996 a year gives you virtual labs, uh, and awesome. practice exams. So in addition to video courses. So, you know, again, if that $25 a month is too much, you can do $99 a month. Um, the, the choice is yours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you're uncomfortable with twenty five dollars a month, you can go. You can pay four times that. That's yeah, fine. but you know, if, yeah. if that's the only thing holding you back, I'm sure you could ask Anthony and say, Anthony, I'm just not comfortable with this uh, twenty five dollars a month. Can you bill me ninety nine? I'm sure he would make an exception for you because they are all about making their customers and users happy. And if that's what it takes to land your business, he will give you the other price. Uh, you know, and, and, I you know, if you. you've got a boss who says you just can't be any good for that price, pay them twenty five dollars a month. Send us a check for seventy four dollars a month. You got ninety nine dollars a month, and uh, and everybody's happy. <laughs> yeah, we, we won't mind. Yeah, we'll be. Uh, you know, we can give you the Element OP branded uh, Linux Academy <laughs> for ninety nine dollars a month. Yeah, we'll put a logo right up there at the top, and 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 go. So, all right, here we go. Uh, an hour and almost 20 minutes into the show. Now we get to our interview with Roberto Donert. <laughs> awesome. Um, but I think what, what I think is interesting is, is he is, is unique here because we're talking about paying for a service that you can find free elsewhere. And Black Lab Linux is one of those things. He's one of those evil jerks on the internet that charges for Linux. How dare you speak such evil? Don't wait for the translation. Speak. Hi, Roberto. How are you doing? Uh, let's just go hey, ahead and get doing? the elephant in the room addressed. You charge for Linux. How do you get away with that? Why do you do that? Well, what we do is we charge for the enterprise version, for the professional version of Linux. You can actually download Black Lab from the Internet free of charge, redistribute it, take it to your lug, if lugs still exist, take them to your lug, take them anywhere you want, and give them to anybody you want. No, what that's, we do is that's not true. Every, that can't be true. You only evil people charge for Linux. You can't be a nice guy and charge for Linux. There's something wrong here. This just doesn't add up. <laughs> <laughs> what we do is we use the way that uh, Tarasoff you used to do, which was whenever they had a new release, 
they would charge for 30 days for that new release to help support the project. And then after 30 days, we release it for free. So people can download it for free, whatever. If you join the Black Lab Network, you actually get your the, the, the release at the time that it's put out. And so for, what what is it? It's $25 for a USB key, if I remember correctly? And live CD, yep. Yeah. Okay, so if I if I want to send you if I want you to send me a pre-configured USB key, it's twenty five bucks. What do I get for that twenty five bucks? I get the I get the OS. Do I get anything else? Uh, you also get an install guide. Okay. Okay. Full colored, full featured, <laughs> and also for people who have low bandwidth and uh, who don't want to go through the hassle of trying to make a live USB or make a live CD, you know, we we offer that service. Any, any level of support after that for that $25, or do I have to pay extra for that, or is there support available? Uh, you got, well, with this, uh, with 25 bucks, you get 30 days of email support. Okay. Oh, all right. Well, that works. So yeah. now that I've we got that out of the way, I just I, I I didn't want to go any farther because I knew that that the neckbeards in the world are gonna are gonna fixate on that. So okay, that's out of the way. You charge for it because you like to make you like to eat, right? Uh, right. Th- that's okay. You're allowed to make money. Um, exactly. And, and the and the thing is, the the GPL <clears throat> license allows you to sell Linux. That's not yeah. evil, but it also allows me once I have paid my twenty five dollars, I can give it out for free if I want. Exactly. So it's mine to do with as I please once I buy it. That's that's exactly. okay. That's exact. That's that's what the GPL allows. He's not a jerk. Well, I don't know if he's a jerk or not, but he's not a jerk just because he's charging uh, for Linux. But now let's talk about what Black Lab Linux is. As as I read your website, it reads to me like the desktop version of CentOS. You're trying to build a stable, professional grade version of desktop Linux instead of server Linux. Is that, a, is that an Ex- accurate assessment? Exactly. Oh, okay. And because, exactly your focus, because your focus is on stability, it's not bleeding edge. It's not built on the latest and greatest stuff, just like CentOS isn't. Exactly. Okay. You got it, Mark. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for the interview. It's been great having you on. And <laughs> so what can we expect to get with Black Lab Linux? What is it built on? What does it have in it? What is its what are its strengths and, and weaknesses? It's built on Ubuntu. And uh, right now it's built on the 12.04 release. What we do is that we go ahead and pre-configure it with packages like LibreOffice, multimedia, things like that. But one of the things we do is that every six months on the desktop release, we go ahead and roll out roll, roll out a service pack, which includes an updated kernel, updated applications, all your bug fixes, everything is included in that service pack. The commercial version, what we do is we upgrade that with a service pack every twelve to four, which me twelve to eighteen months, because as you know, enterprises and education facilities that they don't like to really upgrade. All that much, right? Yep. So it's based on twelve oh four. Are you you're always based on the long term support version? Yes, we are. Okay. So okay. as as Ubuntu releases new LTSs, that's when you get a new version of Enterprise Black Lab Linux. Right. Okay. So you mentioned the multimedia stuff. If when I get the 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 USB stick and I put it in my computer and I format the drive and go, am I going to be able to pop a DVD in and watch it right away without Hassle? 
the DVD, Blu-ray, Flash, QT, QuickTime, um, Windows Media. Yeah. If you've ever tried right to out get, of the box. if you've ever tried to get a Blu-ray to play on Linux, I'm telling you that's worth 25 bucks right there. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, so you uh, you have to pay licenses for that stuff, right? So some of uh, that twenty five dollars is going to go to your licenses fees, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. What what else are you using the money for? I, I can see by your palatial uh, background there with the uh, the uh, the gold inlaid uh, bricks and the uh, the women feeding <laughs> you grapes that you obviously lead a, lead a lavish lifestyle. Uh, but other than paying for your own expenses, what what is the money that I pay for Black Lab Linux go to? Well, we also pay the developers because, you know, they have to eat as well. We also uh, replace aging equipment, equipment that's gone bad, website stuff, you know. Right. And like you said, certifications. All right. Well, that's, yeah, it's it's understandable for the $25. Now, if I don't choose to pay for it and I go to your community site and I download it, what, what am I not getting? You're not getting 30 days of email support. You have to go to the forums, and uh, you know you don't you 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 are the one that has to build the key or build the live CD. So if I download your community version 30 days after it it came out, what was it May 4th? Is that was that your release date? Somewhere around there. May 5th. May 5th. Okay. May so, 5th. So it came out on May 5th, uh, and you uh, so on May uh, on June 5th, I'll be able to get the the version right now uh, that's brand new right now for free well if I, you go to seth you yourself personally can get it <laughs> right. <laughs> right now <laughs> so but if i do that and i don't pay you anything i still can pull you a blu-ray out of the box yeah so you're oh, just wow. giving away your licenses uh, yeah so you just went from being a jerk to being a hero <laughs> more or less it's well, most like of the stuff we, yeah well most of the stuff we we focus on is the enterprise stuff uh which is the commercial version i was talking about all right tell us about with that. that well with that with enterprises like i said they get uh service well service contracts to where we can actually go ahead and maintain the, the distribution for exactly 12 months they pay about depending on the license about how many licenses they buy that's determined on how, on how much we charge, but we maintain the distribution. We actually keep them updated, and uh, we have what's called a custom configuration where we will build your own version for you and maintain it. And that has unlimited, and you can install that on as on as many machines as you as you like. Wow. Okay. So you said you don't. Uh, you, Unity will never be functional. I think was your phrase. So what are you running <laughs> if it's based on Ubuntu twelve point oh four? What are you running instead of uh, Unity? XFCE desktop. Okay. Tell okay. tell us. Tell me about that as though I'd never heard of it because I'm not sure I have. All right, the XF <laughs> the XFCE desktop is a lightweight the desktop and um, that's good for older machines and even the the, the new machines that you want to save your re- resources on. So you don't have all the the desktop effects that you have with uh, GNOME or anything like that, but you have more stability and you have more functionality built out of the box. So if if I like glass, then this is not the distro for me. Right. All right. But we do have uh, subtle effects built in. <laughs> Drop shadows, some transparencies, but we don't do the whole wobbly windows the windows that explode you know that kind of thing i just don't see the need for it so 
But that takes all the fun out of the desktop. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you would like, you can download Compiz and you can go ahead and make that happen. I won't Very stop true. you. Very true. So I, I got I a like question for you, just, for just the because I'm the, the Fedora guy in the room. Why Ubuntu and why not use something like a, a Red Hat or CentOS as the base instead of Ubuntu? Well, we did look at Red Hat. When we first started, I was not, my goal was not to build one, uh, a uh, distro, because I felt that there were too many out there. But when I looked at Red Hat, it was too expensive to actually go ahead and throw out to my users at the time. And, uh, the, and the Fedora project was not very stable. SUSE was not very stable at the time because they just got bought out by Novell. And so without that kind of predictability, I didn't feel comfortable selling it to anyone. So we decided to create our own version. Oh, okay. So uh, you uh, mentioned the enterprise version. So this is designed to be a drop-in replacement for Microsoft Windows in the enterprise. Can I assume from that that it's going to serve as an AD client? It's going to register on the domain? It's going to do that sort of stuff out of the box? Yes, with the enterprise version, you get things like Active Directory, a pre-configured Samba, and a lot of proprietary software that you know we can't redistribute without a license. But and that's that's not downloadable for free thirty days later. No, that's not okay. That is about one hundred and twenty bucks, and uh, like I said, for one li- for one li- license, and then it goes up determine determine it on how many that that you need. Okay, so you're licensing those per licensing those per seat, right? So if I want to drop in, let's say I want to drop in a thousand to make the math easy, I want to drop in a thousand machines and and do away with Windows on my network. What am I going to pay for that? Are you buying the machines for me, or are you? Uh, <laughs> Let, let's say I've got <laughs> machines. I've got existing machines. I just want to wipe the hard drives and put Black Lab Linux on them for a th- for a thousand licenses. Uh huh. About five thousand dollars. Okay, so five bucks a license, and that's uh, does that renew annually, or is that one time for version? What, how does that work? Uh, that renews annually. You okay. can go ahead and buy it. You you can use it for as long as you would like. So if you want to use it for three or four years, but if you just pay for the one year, then you just then you you just get one year of support. Okay, so, that's so license I, and support. Right. And what level of support am I going to get? Is it still email support, or is there a uh, is there a phone number? Uh, that one you actually get phone support. You get um, on site support as well. Wow. Okay. And remote and remote support. All right. So five bucks a license um, at that volume. Uh, I get not only an OS, but an office suite and uh, what a video editing suite. What what are the packages that come in in that uh, off the bo- out of the box? In the enterprise version, you get the office suite. You get the uh, Adobe Reader. You get uh, Active Directory client. Uh, you also get the Black Lab SDK built in, so you get all your development tools and everything that you need. Uh, you also get NFS and all the advanced networking configuration tools and also you get support for oracle because we put in all the prerequisites for oracle the database and everything in there for you okay wow so for roughly the cost because at that volume a microsoft office or or microsoft uh windows license is going to cost about five bucks too so for about the cost of that i get the os plus everything that the os needs to run on 
Yep. Correct. And so you're using uh, LibreOffice because that's what's in the Ubuntu repositories? Yes, LibreOffice. And also we got permission from Microsoft to include the Microsoft Office Online web apps with our distribution as well. Wow. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I'm sure that, you know, I probably could have done it without asking, but with recent uh, happenings with Oracle and Google, I wanted to ask permission first. <laughs> safe. That's a safe bet. So when you yeah. say you, you offer remote support, are you using like an SSH client um, or uh, SSH or a VNC? Okay. So you're building a VNC tunnel, an SSH tunnel for the VNC client, then, right? Correct. Correct. Okay. So every client has a VNC server turned on by default. Correct. All right. So that's as an administrator, that's something I look forward to. I, I need to be able to remote support my own users. So that's built in and turned on and ready to go? Exactly. All right. Cool. And uh, and also we have the Google Chrome web, web browser because I live in North Carolina. And North Carolina, the state of North Carolina, a lot of their public access sites or web apps that they use, they require Google Chrome or a Chromebook if you're not really? using Windows. So, Yeah. Hmm. Oh, yeah. But you have to remember this day is backwards because it's only a year ago that – that they drop netware. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in wow. Texas it's still IE, and I think it's like IE ten. It's not even yeah. the latest version of IE. Uh, all uh-huh. their testing stuff requires IE, and that used to make me mad. I used to have to build mm-hmm. RDP sessions just to take this one stupid standardized test because my Linux mm-hmm. clients obviously didn't have IE on them. Yes. Now we have an education version as well that is like the enterprise version, except it's tailored more to schools. And with that one, we're very uh, light on the licensing fees. Uh, $299 gets you a full license to do with it, whatever you want, Re- redistribute among the students, pass along to any school in your district. And we do that for the schools. And is there a difference between the the saw? I mean, is it the same ISO or is there different stuff on it? It's a, There's a lot of different stuff on it. Okay. So between- we have more educational focused tools and more easy networking. Networking tools so that like like uh, Nitro Share, we include that by default on the education version. Okay, and also we also have Think Client utilities installed on the education version for those who want to set up a Think Client environment. Cool. Wow. I still got get drop in AD support, right? All right, you still get AD support, and uh, also with the Oracle stuff, you still get that as well. Uh, so that's three hundred bucks per institution. Per institution, correct. Awesome. Wow, that's nice and priced for, well for education. Even if you're a poor district, that would still be within reach. Exactly, and that's why we did it. Because if you look at uh, like Google now, they're giving away Chromebooks for free. Who wants a Chromebook? But I mean that they're giving it away for free. Yeah. Apple, they charge you, what, 300 bucks a machine for schools? I'm not sure how what, what the pricing is for Apple. I don't talk to them about it, but... <laughs> I know they don't give low. much. They don't. They don't give those breaks anymore. They used to. Oh, they don't. Not anymore. It's you get like a five percent discount for being a school. Ooh. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. Last time I looked, anyway, that was a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you probably have to pay more for being a school because <laughs> right. they're Apple and it's the education o- tax. Only the best for the kids because don't you love the children? Okay, I remember in a Granville County around here uh, about two years ago, they gave they gave that school system uh, free Apple iBooks or MacBooks or whatever they're called now. I don't even know what they're called now. 
I don't use Apple, but uh, now I see why they still use them. <laughs> yeah, no wow. kidding. So you said earlier that you sell hardware too. Tell me about that. Yes, we do. Well, we we partner with Acer and HP, and what that does is that we can install Black Lab Linux on their hardware, and you can actually send it back to them if something goes wrong, and they will actually service the machine instead of telling you, "Oops, Windows is not installed on it." So I'm going to flip the, this uh, laptop over, and it's going to have a service tag on it. I'm going to read the service tag to the Indian fellow on the other side of the, the phone, and he's going to recognize that this has a, a legitimate version of Linux on it, and he's not going to tell me to to reformat and go away. All right. That, exactly. That's that's a good thing, actually. That's a, yeah. And so, yeah. <laughs> and Acer, they already shipped Black Lab on many of their recycled machines to the third world. So, um, you know, I have I, I have a pretty good re- relationship with them when it comes to that. That's cool. I have a feeling that I'm gonna. I have another tool now in my belt for calling uh, to the dump Microsoft campaign. There you go. Exactly. So uh, let's talk some pricing on on your boxes. There, I. I Assume that you're going to pay a premium, so it's probably going to be a little more than your standard HP stuff. Uh, so, so tell me, give me some rough numbers on your current pricing for, uh, for say, say I'm a school and I want to buy, I want to put in two labs. I'm going to buy uh, fifty computers. Fifty computers. Well, I have to do the numbers on that, but it would be, like you said, you'd probably be paying a pretty good premium. Uh, let's go ahead. I'm I'm not going to hold you to it. You can make yeah, it. Yeah, okay. you just spitball <laughs> So you're looking at about two labs at 50 computers a piece. You're probably looking at about close to 30 or 40,000. Okay. Yeah. That That's about what I wait, figured it would be. Now that's for 100 computers total? Yeah, that's for 100 computers total. Okay. Like I said, don't quote me on that. Nobody, I don't want anybody calling me telling me when they want that pricing, but... So you should, you know, so you're looking at six hundred bucks a machine, roughly. Roughly, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's because that, the more you buy, obviously, the le- the more of a break I'm going to give you. Right. right. That's typical. But yeah, that, I mean, yeah, that's that's right. I wouldn't say it's even a premium. That's pretty close to normal pricing when it comes to, you know, that that quantity of machines for, you know, uh, a school. That's pretty close to what I get right now when I go to bid. Right. And then when you uh, call HP in case one of the machines goes bad or something, they're not going to tell you to reinstall Windows 8. They're going to say, okay, you got Black Lab on this. What's the problem? Wow. So what uh, what what kind of hardware am I going to get? What, what are you selling right now in terms uh, of? On, on the professional side, what we have are workstation class machines. And so, I mean, these are pretty professional machines. These are the same machines that are used by DreamWorks. And they're also used by the LA County Sheriff, which happens to be a customer, a customer of mine. Let me get it out. And then we also have what's called the brick. I don't know if you guys saw that on the website. I saw it. Tell us about it. Uh, the brick is a uh, machine that's, it's a mini PC configuration. It's small. It's about, well, the size of a brick. And that's <laughs> why we call it the brick. <laughs> anyway, but uh, that machine is uh, that's one of well, that's one of our fa- fastest sellers. You can buy that single, or you can actually buy that as part of an eight-node configuration. Hmm. All right. So it's uh, that that's an Acer or an HP. The brick looks like it's an Acer. Uh, the brick is the brick is actually a like 
a, a custom configuration that's designed by Zotac. Okay. And uh, so Zotac creates the machine, but we brand it with our logos, our emblems, and everything. And so it just we work with hang, them closely. It's as well. designed to hang on the back of a monitor. Uh, plug in a Visa or VGA or HDMI cable and, and go. Exactly. Okay. Cool. Well, and it boots right off the bat. So fast boot up time. Running off a of flash memory. Uh huh. Okay. Any chances of changing from XFCE to some other desktop once it's installed, or from you guys on their own? Or are you guys going to stay XFCE? What you guys can do is go ahead and install any de- any de- desktop ver- version that you want. I don't care if you install KDE or whatever, because basically what we look at is the core system, okay? And we and how ha- and I happen to be a KDE u- user myself, so thank you, sir. You know, thank you. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Power users you know, and use uh, KDE. because of the problems with X- with XFCE, I don't know if you guys have noticed. I mean, they're like a year late. On their current, on their new release. Yeah. So right now we're debating on whether to change from XFCE to maybe KDE or now even LXQT or uh, forking out XFCE. Hmm. Now um, I don't know if if you've ever. Um, I'm a big Bluetooth user, and one of the biggest issues I have right now with any of my Linux installs. <laughs> Is my Bluetooth adapters not working with my headsets? Have you got? Are you having that problems too as well, or is that? I've never had that problem. Oh, so it's just me. Gee, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so I'm looking on your website right now, uh, and I've got your Acer Aspire XC, uh, two gigahertz uh, processor, eight gigs of RAM, a terabyte hard drive, DVD, uh, ATI Radeon HD8400. Gigabit Ethernet, integrated Wi-Fi, plus Bluetooth, with a three-year warranty, $650, uh, not including a monitor. So that's, uh, you know, that's not an unreasonable price at all, frankly. Right. Yeah, and uh, that was another thing. I don't know if you guys remember Commodore USA that came out a few years ago. No. No, no I'm not familiar with it. But, uh, I mean, he was pretty expensive on his on the, online with his machines and his custom stuff. But uh, one thing that I like is that we are actually pretty much cheaper than even System 76 on some of this stuff. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of System 76. So, uh, uh-huh. yeah. Oh, trust me, I don't have a problem with System 76. I have a couple of their machines myself. Yeah. So, do you do anything in the server range, or are you all desktop oriented? Uh, we do a file print server, and uh, that one is a little bit different. That's all. That's all it has in there. We also have what's called expansion kits. And what that does is that actually has like web server, uh, has stuff like virtualization and things like that, whatever you want to use the server for. Okay. For enterprise server deployments, like if somebody has a uh, enterprise environment, they want to, they want something in the uh, course of a Red Hat server or a Novell server, uh, that we actually partner with Red Hat and we sell Red Hat and Enterprise for that. And I see here in the notes, I think Seth put it in there. You guys have figured out a way to do Netflix? Well, that is for the Media Center edition. We have a Media Center box that we sell, and uh, that's for the living room. That's so you guys can actually plug it into your machine, sort of like an Apple TV. All right. And uh, what we did is we actually uh, configured Wine 
a special version of Wine that actually run just Netflix. And uh, we've actually, we're actually, we're working with Netflix on that. They're actually looking at it and uh, before they put their stamp of approval on it, because obviously, as you know, they don't have a Netflix client. Right. So is that the, the Compolio wine that you're running? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So there's a, there's a, something in the Ubuntu repositories, Netflix desktop that uh, right. is supposed to do all that. So is that, is you're using something based on that? Very similar. Yes. Yeah. Because that didn't work at all for me when I tried it. Yeah, yeah that was a but that, major fail. <laughs> yeah, but that only comes with the Media Center edition. So I mean, you know, that's something. Unless you want to, unless you want to buy that type of hardware, then I mean, that's where you get it. We're not building into the di- distribution at all. All right, is that legal? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's legal. Okay, that's legal. Is it? Then, yeah. Okay. <laughs> of course you have to say that. <laughs> so are you bundling the, uh, like I, I see that your, your desktop is using that ATI. Is that, um, the proprietary driver or the open source driver? Uh, we actually ship the open source driver, but we okay. will support you if you install the binary driver. So uh, if you buy the, the, bi- the me, if you, if you use the binary driver, we will not hold that against you. Okay. Well, I was just thinking with uh, you know, with the Steam boxes that are starting to show up, you know, and they run they're running um Ubuntu as their base for the Steam boxes. So I was just wondering if, if that's they're running be Debian. Some... Yeah. Well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're they're running Debian, but that's uh, you know Ubuntu is not var- very far fetched from Debian. Um, I was just wondering, how, have you tried running Steam on any of your boxes to see if they hold up? Actually, yes. The, we have the Steam client installed, and they actually hold up pretty well. Awesome. And uh, I, actually, for the $25, too, you get a version of Steam. You get the Steam client installed. Okay, so the uh, the, the pen drive thing the, what, comes with Steam client ready to roll. Right. Oh, cool. Wow. I mean, sounds like everybody should be... Uh, Paying $25 for Black Lab Linux with all the stuff you get. I mean, it's more like, why wouldn't you pay $25 to get all that? Because you can wait 30 days and not pay for it. And this is, <laughs> the, these are Linux users we're talking about. They don't pay well, for anything. Right. Well, think but about then, it. You're helping the support with the with project. That is that the there Black won't be Lab a next version because support us. money. Yeah, okay. That was that was a, a court scene going on there. We had two people talking at the same time. So, uh, Seth, you go first. No, I was just going to say, you know, I'm all about being a cheapskate, but sometimes you got, if something's good, you need to give them some money because otherwise, you know, I understand there's labors of love that people do in their spare time, but you know, big daddy got to eat sometime. And if I can't make any money at this, I got to go where the money is. So yeah, I feel that about this podcast. If it's good, you got to give us money. I'm just waiting for it to get good. Ooh. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, so that's all the questions I had. Now I'm going to give just turn the floor over to you, Roberto. What what have we not asked you? What do you want to say that you haven't yet? Well, one of the biggest misconceptions that people have about Black Lab is that we're all jerks for charging for Linux. You jerk? I get. That's what they say. <laughs> I get about. I get about 50 emails from people who tell me they will not buy Linux. And I'm like, okay, that's nice. 
No one's telling you you have to buy it. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, that's one of the biggest misconceptions people have is that we are just totally commercial or evil and that we're trying to uh, sell something that's free. Well, and, if you even now, if you go to the Ubuntu download page, you got to go past the donate button to, to download it, right? So they make it actually uh, an extra step to not pay them. So it, it, yeah. you're not, what you're doing is not unheard of by any means. But you want to hear something funny? I actually did the same exact thing on my website and they, somebody reported it as a phishing website. <laughs> Man. Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, you know, th- go figure. Uh, it yeah. is what it is. Yeah, but people are interested. HTTP colon the double slash www.blacklablinux.org. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking right now. Uh, I'm at the Ubuntu page. I went to the download and the, the default thing there is a $16 contribution. Exactly. Um, and the, and the, they don't have any of the codex. They don't have any yeah. of the proprietary stuff. Uh, they can't play a Blu-ray. Yeah. So the, the big button says pay with PayPal. Then in little print, it says not now take me to the download. Uh, so, you know, it's, they want you to pay. But for the same reasons everybody else wants you to pay, people like to make money when they work. You know, if they they can't make money doing this, they're going to have to stop doing this and go make money somewhere else. Well, Linux, I've made money off Linux. I'm not going to say that. That sounds terrible. I've made a living off of Linux since about 2007. (laughs) So uh, this is your only job? Yeah, it's my only job. And uh, one of the things that... uh, I found is that commercially we, we do well when it comes to the free and open source community. A lot of times we lag with those guys. And I think that's because it, it is what it is. They see what we are. They hear the word commercial and then they just like, well, I can get Ubuntu for free. Right. And they go. And in the business world, free is, is actually a negative. They, they yes, feel more comfortable if you pay for it. Exactly. Exactly. And you'd be surprised how often I see that. Or probably wouldn't be surprised how often yeah. I see that, but. <laughs> Cause, you it know, there, show. There, there's two questions that you always hear. One is, how can it be good if it's free? And two, uh-huh. who am I going to call if it screws up? Um, because- you want to hear something funny? Is that actually with, with one of my clients, which was U.S. Foods. Okay. I had their IT director tell me that I charge too little and that. He would not buy it until I raised the price. Did you say, okay, uh, it's, it's now $800 a license. <laughs> now it's $120 for one license. I'm like, okay, you guys want the price raised? Here you go. Let me get my eraser out. I can fix that right now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. True, true story. But I mean, it was just, it was just so funny to me that in the commercial world, I see that that when I get home, I pop up my pop up my e- email client, and I got somebody who wrote me an email. I will not pay for Linux. Yeah. Well, that's the difference between enterprise and yeah. our free the free users of Linux. Welcome exactly. to the internet. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, people here don't always make sense. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, and we lead the way on that many times. So. <laughs> so, how did you guys hear about us? Well, I was actually. Um, I don't remember the name of the story, but, um, it's a couple of weeks ago. I, I just, I read this story uh, and it mentioned Black Lab Linux and I went, 
well, I've never heard of Black Lab Linux. So I searched on them and uh, came across your website and I shot y'all an email and said, hey, would you like to be on the show? And you said, yes, said yes. And we set up a time. The pair Linux stories that we saw. Um, that, that was one of them, I think. Um, yeah, I didn't know if, um, I didn't know if you wanted to say anything about that. Um, yeah. Or not. Okay. So. Seth, yeah. Seth Forstall, who is an employee of mine, well, was an employee of mine. He was under contract with me. He was under contract for another 15 months. And, uh, he got a job offer. He got a job offer from Apple. And I said, sure. No problem. You know, I'm not going to hold you to your contract. If it's something you really want to do, I'm not an asshole. Uh, Apple actually called me before I actually had the conference with him and told me that they would buy out his contract. And I was like, no, that's not a problem. Anyway, so he went to work with them and somehow his goodbye letter that he wrote to all of us somehow found its way onto the internet. I don't know how. Uh, somebody leaked it and he said he was going to Apple to work on a Linux endeavor. I don't know what he's doing for Apple, though. Everybody asks me, what's he doing for Apple? I don't know. He's under contract not to talk about it. So <laughs> I don't know what the project is. So if it's Paralinux, it's Paralinux. I don't know. The Paralinux guys say it was not them. So th- it was not Apple that bought them. So I don't know what what's what. Mm, cool. And Paralinux, in case you don't know, is um, a one of the many Linux distributions that's trying to mimic the Apple OS. And well, they was were, trying to. Yeah, was trying to. Around. And they were purchased by an unnamed company. Well, I'm not going to sit there and uh, spread rumors or anything like that. By God, I don't want to do that. Yeah. But uh, I heard that uh, actually the developers were paid to stop developing, not that they were bought, but that they were paid to stop it. So I don't know. That's what oh. I heard, too. Well, it's the same difference. Yeah. Money was, was paid and... The project wasn't uh-huh. theirs anymore. Whether they bought it and killed it, or paid them off, either way, um, yeah. You know, uh, I have tried many of the trying to be like a Mac distributions, and the more they succeed, the less I like them because I don't like oh, the I way do Mac too. does things. And uh, it's just my, it's just the way, it's just what I like, and I don't like the way Macs do things. I don't like their quote unquote natural scrolling. It's entirely unnatural. Um, yeah. And when I loaded up my Linux Mint and it had that on, I was like, what? And so immediately I turned it off because that's not natural. Right. I go up to go down. That's not natural. But you see, the whole thing I see in Linux in, in this world is that there are so many people that try to mimic the Mac or Windows. They don't do their own thing. Now, the one thing that we try to do is make it comfortable for Mac users and Windows users, but we actually have our own design ethos to our desktop. Which is well, what? Good. Yeah. So, so what, is the, an, what is the underlying uh, personality of your desktop? Something brand new that no one hasn't used. <laughs> okay. So you got you got to try it to understand it. Exactly. But, you know, we have like our start menu on the left side of the screen, clock on the right side of the screen. And that was one thing is that uh, Santa Fe Public Schools, when uh, their users were using Black Lab, we had a bar at the top like a Mac. And so many of the teachers did not know how to use that. So they were like, can you please move it to the bottom of the screen? Yeah. So it'll be more Windows like. Muscle memory, man. That's powerful. 
Yeah. yeah. We've been trained since 1995 that you go to the bottom left to start. Exactly. Um, and now other things like Unity and uh, Cinnamon and I'm not even going to say Mate because Mate's more like Gnome 2, but like Unity. All right. One thing that I hear from the enterprise world, which is the, which is the dominating world, is that they do not want to see a new desktop. They don't want to see it. There's no need for it because our users are used to one thing. Why, why, why go through the hassle? Yeah, why break it if it's already working? Yeah, welcome to Windows exactly. 8. Uh, my wife fired up our new Windows 8 laptop and was like, I don't know how to do anything because, yeah. it, you know, the muscle memory was broken. Uh, exactly. That's, that's the problem everybody has. But you can't move forward without breaking from the past. So it, we're in that time right now where everybody's trying to figure out what the next thing is and nobody knows. And well, the whole thing that you were talking about earlier with the do what Star Trek does, the L-Cars interface, which I'm sure you guys saw it back oh, yeah. in the day when people were trying to imitate it and all that. That's sort of, to me, what Windows 8.1 or Windows 8 is trying to mimic. I don't know. Yeah. To me, it just looks... L cars. <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, I could see that parallel. So, yeah, you got to be a, a really big geek to know what that is. And so I'm not even going to explain it. Look it up. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there have been a couple of guys who have replicated that almost entirely. Exactly. And it looked, un- and it looked unintuitive on the screen and it's still unintuitive now. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, well, before so, we hit the two-and-a-half-hour mark, I think I'm going to wrap this up, uh, and I'm going to ask you what I always ask everybody else. If you if nobody hears anything else but this next statement that you're about to make, what's the one thing that you want people to make sure they leave this podcast hearing? Uh, give Black Lab Linux a try. You know, Don't sit there and just look at the word commercial or look at a price tag and think that you know we're such evil people. Go in there and actually try it. There One thing that we do is that we leave the previous version up for the remainder of the time until it goes to the, to the new version, goes to the free version. So people can actually sit there, download it, try on their hardware, make sure it works. Because one thing we don't do is we don't degrade hardware support, okay? So if, so if the old system supports your hardware, the newest one's gonna, is, is going to support it as well. All right, cool. so you're big on legacy support, which makes sense, exactly. being that you're going for the enterprise. Enterprise doesn't yeah. want us to swap out stuff all the time. No, and that was another thing too. People ask us why don't we just let Red Hat or Novell take over the, or why why should they buy our de- desktop versus Novell or Red Hat? And one of the things I tell people is that Novell and Red Hat, their de- their de- desktop systems only support things like email, web browsing, the document creation. And you and you, you guys and I know that with desktops, especially in small businesses, there's so much more to it than that. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna call it. Um, I'm gonna wrap that up. Thanks for being with us, Roberto. Um, no problem. And then the next, I thing- do it again. Okay. Uh, and so we'll go, uh, the next part of our show is called the Dev Slash Random, where Seth gives us something that may or may not be interesting. <laughs> hey, I uh, recently came across this how it should have ended.com. 
Um, oh, yeah, they that's have a new. YouTube channel that you can go to, but the one that I chose just to kind of represent the site is um, how the Avengers should have ended bonus scene. It's like a little two minute video. And I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, some of their, how it ended are, I would have went another direction, but pretty much all of them are pretty funny. And if you go to their website, there's one with Optimus Prime and Megatron playing Battleship, talking <laughs> about the movie Battleship that you really have to watch. It is great. How it should have ended dot com. Um, and the link leads you to a specific video, the Avengers, how it should have ended bonus scene. Uh, anyway, just, uh, watch them and enjoy. And again, remember, I'm trying to make you less productive so I look like an attractive hire to your current employer. Check out the Frozen How It Should Have Ended. It's awesome. If you've seen Frozen 73,000 times like I have, um, it, it, it's even more powerful. But uh, uh, let's just say Wolverine shows up. Uh, oh, man. Now you make me want to see Frozen so I can watch that. Um, yeah. I'm looking for it now. <laughs> Uh, okay. Uh, I'm going to say that's it. If you want to be, uh, on the show in the form of listener feedback or, or like uh, Roberto, you want to be a guest or you just have something to say, the way to do that is go to elementop.com, click the contact us button at the top of the page. That'll send us a nicely formatted email and, uh, and we'll see it. Or if you just want to skip the middleman and send your own email, that is edl at everydaylinux.com. Or if you want to be here in a, in your own dulcet tones, you can leave us a voicemail at 559IMO. Opie, uh, and uh, that's our Google Voice number, and we'll play it on the air. Or if you're too lazy to dial a phone, again, go back to our elementopi.com page, click the Leave Us a Voicemail widget, enter your phone number, and Google Voice will call you. If you happen to be on a Pi phone, for example, you might want to do that. Um, we, we appreciate you being here with us. Thanks for uh, the couple of guys that were in the chat room. Uh, you were not as distracting this week as you were last week. That's both good and bad. Um, uh, thank you, Roberto, for being a guest. Chris, Seth, as always, thanks for being the awesome host that you are. And I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.